Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. All right, so we're in this series. We're doing it throughout the summer. I want to again thank everyone that took some time to fill that out for us. Really appreciate that. Uh, fill the card out, look just like that. And uh, several questions we had, a good hundred or more, and I appreciate that. We've uh, taken the time to go through those and uh, answering those questions. We've already done four parts. You can check those out at the, on our website or, again, the app, and you can access any of the uh, uh, other sermons, as we've asked. And so really excited about this, and uh, so we're going to go ahead and jump into part five this morning. So one of the cards I looked at, and it asked it just like this, whoever wrote this, how do I stop the darkness from pushing away the light? And I wrote it down exactly as it was written because I wanted to address, because so much of the question and how it was written kind of speaks to me. And so I want to answer this question, but I want to start off, first of all, by looking uh, at the reality of what this question is, is asking. And that is, first of all, to, in order to, to approach this, we've got to acknowledge, as whoever wrote this did, that there is darkness and there is light. So you have to know that both exist. Now, certainly we understand this in a uh, physical way. Obviously there's darkness, there's light, <clears throat> but it's also a spiritual thing, darkness, light, which of course is what this question is all about. And but what I wanted to point out, first of all, before we get into this, is that darkness does not push light back. When you look at the physical properties, light, darkness is actually just the absence of light. Okay? So light is the physical force. Darkness is just what is left. It is by default dark. It is God who said, let there be light. It existed darkness first. And so when we think of the physical properties, it, it works the very same way in the spirit. That default, there is darkness. And what we need is light, and we need to come to the light. We need to experience the light. We need the light shining in our hearts. We need it shining out of us. We're going to look about look at that, rather, as to how we can make that happen better. So what is the light if we're looking at this subjectively? Okay, What is it? If it's not physical property, well, as a spiritual property, it's truth. What is the light? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the light of the world, didn't he? He said, I am the light, and we know Jesus is the embodiment of truth. So the light is Jesus Christ. It is the word of God. It is the truth that has come down from heaven. It's a life. What is light? It's a life lived in truth. So light exists, but he said, now you're the light, and now go shine brightly. So wherever we go, we bring light, if there's truth inside our heart. Okay? So we're salt, we're light. And wherever we go, we bring change, we dispel the darkness wherever we go. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And also that uh, this light goes forth through prayer. We understand that. I'm just going through this real quickly. Worship, as we worship the Lord this morning, light is going forth. The, the darkness, is again, is pushed back as we glorify God. As we lift up God, we create the atmosphere of worship. The presence of God comes, darkness is dispelled, it's pushed back, and of course, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we learned last week that how the, the Holy Spirit lives inside us, and so wherever we go, it all makes sense when you put it all together, that wherever we go, darkness should be dispelled. It should go. So I'm answering the question very quickly, 
But yet, I really feel like I need to unpack this thing at another level. I think in order for us to push back that darkness and, and walking in the light as he is in the light, then folks, we need to have a clear understanding of what a past Christian, a present Christian, and a future Christian is, okay? I want to look at this, because this was really on my heart, and when that question was asked, I said, <clears throat> this is the chance to, to speak to this. So I want to look at this, <clears throat> excuse me, from this, this perspective. If you want to be a person who's walking in the light, you want to dispel this darkness, and you want to make sure that the darkness does not come back into your life, then you need to understand how we live our lives. Okay, so I want to look at these three different aspects <clears throat> of a Christian's life. First of all, I want to talk about the past living Christian. What is a past living Christian? This is a person who lives in regret. This is a person whose life is overwhelmed by the past, so much so that they can't enjoy the present. Now, Peter spoke to this very, very powerfully, and I'm going to read that right now in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And then we're going to refer to this verse a few more times throughout this morning. But let's start with verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse 4. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So Peter's saying, look, we have everything we need to live this life. Okay, we have everything. So keep that in mind. Store that in your heart and in your mind. And then again, we'll come back to it. Verse five, for this very reason, because this is true, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, now notice that Peter point, points that out, that this is a process, that it's progressive, that we need to be growing daily in these character qualities. And of course, the ultimate goal is to, to walk in love that agape love, that as we grow in this spiritual maturity, we'll be able to lay our lives down. We talked about racial reconciliation last week. We can't even touch that until we've walked through this progression and gotten to this place, even beyond mutual affection. We need to come to a place of understanding agape love, what it is, okay? So he said, you need to have these qualities. Now, let's look at what else he says about these things. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting. So can a Christian have an unproductive and ineffective life? Absolutely. That's exactly why Paul's talking to this. It's why he's addressing this. And he's saying, so look, these, you, you need to be growing in the knowledge of the things that you've been given and he already told us that we have everything we need in order to be able to be what he's called us to be. So there needs to be a discovery. There needs to be a growing, a maturity in these things, okay? So let's go on, though, because he's really going to hit on the reason why here in just a moment. He says, unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, in other words, can't see forward, 
forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Ah, therein lies the problem. A past living Christian is stuck in the past. A past living Christian is one who is using so much emotional and soul energy to have to deal with the past sins. Regret, shame, guilt. And so here Peter, and Paul says it too, that we get sometimes so caught up in what has happened to our past that if we can't get past it, we cannot enjoy the present. Let's not even think about the future. But we'd hardly hardly have enough energy just to keep these two stumpy legs of mine moving on to take the next step in this progressive growth. So he's saying, so this is the problem, is that we have forgotten that our sins are forgiven. We have not been able to get past our past. Let's let's push on. So the past sins cause us to use, in the end, what I would like to call psychoanalytical thinking to relieve the stress of guilt and trauma. And that's often what happens to past living Christians is because we're not embracing the truth, then we look to something else. And what do we look to? We look to, it's not your fault. We look to, it's going to be okay, take a pill. We look to... You know, let's just immerse ourselves. It's amazing that they're finding certain trends. I like to follow trends, and that's, that's important for me in, in what I do. But there's a whole movement, even among millennials right now, of just basically moving away from responsibility, just saying, okay, they've, they've, they've spent a lot of money getting their education, and they've gotten some high-level jobs, and they're finally just saying, wait, this is way too much work. I don't want to do this anymore. And going and living in tiny houses out in the middle of nowhere. As long as I got internet access, all's good. And so there's this trend that's going on here, and it's because generally the, the weight of life, the weight of, and, and I'm going to tell you, it comes down to the past. I mean, I don't have to be a scientist to figure this out. That what is going on is that we don't know how to deal with what has happened to us. We don't have the energy in and of ourselves to deal with that. And I like to say, if you can use, I like to use my imagination, if you've got this mechanism, you've got these cogwheels inside you, and this is your soul, and it's moving and, and like a clockwork inside you, and somebody throws a monkey wrench inside that, and it all gets caught up, and now it's, it's stopping, it's going, and it's doing what it can. Maybe it's just full of a bunch of sawdust, but whatever it is, it's slowing us down, and we're using most of our soul energy just to keep us alive. That's not what Jesus died for us to have. And that's what Peter is saying is, Peter saw the trend too, that there was ineffective, unproductive Christians, and he goes, I know why. They're still struggling to understand that their sins are forgiven. They need to understand that. So I'm going to continue to describe this. But see, God is the solution. We've got we to learn to get past the psychoanalytical stuff and go to the Word of God and see that the solution is that our sins have been forgiven. And, we're, and there's a healing for our soul, as David experienced in Psalm 23, verse 3. He said, he restores my soul. I love that. I love that part of that whole psalm. He restores my soul. I've experienced a bunch of it. And we can. In other words, that we, and, and, and so... John says there in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, he says, if you want to walk in the light as he is in the light, what does he say you need to do? Confess your sins. For he is faithful and he's just to forgive our sins and to purify us 
from all ungodliness and set our conscience free. And I love what Hebrews says. Hebrews gets almost even more uh, didactic, more specific, and he says that the blood of Jesus cleanses our, I love this, cleanses our consciences from acts which lead to death. Now, so, of course, he's tapping into the Old, the Old Testament in what the, the, uh, uh, the, the sacrifice did. And the blood of Jesus does that very thing. When we call upon the blood of Jesus to forgive our sins, especially our sins of the past, when we confess them, he's faithful, he promised it. He's just, he's right to demand it. And yet he is ready to cleanse us of that pain, of that sorrow, of the guilt, the shame. He wants to pull that monkey wrench out of our soul. He wants to pull it, clean it all out so that we can go back to hardly using any energy at all when we think of our past. I'm in fellowship with him and I'm in fellowship with one another. That's what John is saying. He says, I pray that you don't sin. But if you do, which is all of us, there is a solution. And we need to know this solution. We need to walk in this. This needs to be second nature for the Christian. But if it's not second nature to the Christian, then they live in the past. I find a lot of believers live in this way, using all of their soul energy to deal with what happened. So living in the past is a consequence of not reading and believing the word of God. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Notice the first Peter, part of Peter's encouragement, verses three and four. What does he say? His divine power has given us everything we need, right? Through what? What does it say up there? Through our knowledge. How do you, get, how do you grow in knowledge? Got to read the word, baby. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I leave it on the shelf and never read it. Come on, folks. Truth is ready to be awakened inside your soul. You got a phone where you can get an NIV, you can get a King James Version, you can get whatever you NSAB, you can get whatever you want on your phone right now. You can have an iPad. You can go to the internet, it's on there. You can buy the book. I understand you can buy them at Family Dollar for a buck. The Word of God is there. Has God been as generous and as obvious as possible? And, 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 and anyone in America, we have no excuse to say, well, I never read the book. It's everywhere. And you get to it any time. And so here's the deal. We get stuck in the past because we're not growing in the knowledge of him who died for, for us and the truth that needs to get into the, our inward parts so that I'm not wasting all this energy, wasting all this soul strength, wasting all of this time worried about my past. He wants to get in there and deliver us. He wants to set us free from the guilt, the shame, the trauma. There's plenty of that. Because men's sins do very damaging things to the human soul. But God wants to come and restore you, my friend. If you're living in the past, don't deny it. Understand, raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I can't. I'm not really enjoying my present. I'm not really enjoying my present because my past continues to haunt me. There's, a fr- there's an answer to that, my friends. God wants to take what has been your trauma, your your tragedy, and turn it into a testimony. A message of reconciliation cannot grow out of this kind of negative thinking if it it continues to be in the darkness. See, God can't use what is in the darkness until it's brought into the light. I was sharing this with a friend of mine just recently, and we both were just kind of talking and sharing our hearts, talking about, you know, sharing from my past, and he was sharing from his past. And I said, you know what? 
I have come to learn would I have not, if, would I need God as much as I need him now if I hadn't experienced that? Of all the things that, that were gifted to me in life, strong, and, you know, smart enough. And yet I thought to myself, I need him so desperately. There's, I got a broken wing. I, got a, I, I lead with a limp. I've got a gimp in my gait. And those are the things that God allowed to happen. And you know what? As Paul said, I'm kind of grateful for those. Because he let those happen in my life. He, he let me grow up in a broken home. He let me grow up in these different things. And they have become seed beds for the grace of God. They've become growing places for a testimony. So that over 35 years, do you know how many times I've told my story? Do you know how many times I've poured into people and, and, just, and, 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 and reach into almost every kind of circumstance? It's amazing. God wants to do that. But if we are constantly plagued by the past, we can't get to that. God wants to do a tremendous transformation inside you so we can get past that. As Peter said, because we have forgotten that we have been cleansed from our past sins, whether it just be because of trauma or guilt, you know what? When, and you may say, well, this was all done to me. Then you're angry about it. And your sin is bitterness. And God wants to set you free from that too. Because I could continue to look and ask the question, well, why did that, why couldn't have, why, why, why? If you still got a bunch of whys, then my friends, you don't understand who the living God is. Because there's a lot of whys I have, but there's a like, well, I won't know those until I get to heaven, how he created this whole thing. But why I had to go through what, I don't ask those questions anymore. I have no clue except that I'm so grateful that I know him. I'm so grateful that he's forgiven my sin. I'm so grateful for the blessings that I've experienced as a result and in spite of those things. That, my friend, is a past living Christian. We need to get past the past. So, but for argument's sake and for this message, let's say we do that. Let's say we have embraced that and now we are able to enjoy our present. Let's say you, you have confessed your sins, you're, you're healed up and you're enjoying it and now you're able to breathe in and out. The monkey wrench of your past has been pulled out and you now can use your energy to enjoy. So the Bible, truth, as we begin to embrace it, helps, helps us live beyond regret, just as I've shared, enjoying the present, but the present will not satisfy it will not satisfy the believer. And a lot of times what happens is we have a lack of understanding that we are not just created to live, breathe, and enjoy life, but we are eternal beings. Now, that's another level of, of where I think I've seen Christians live. And I've got to be honest. I think this is where the preponderance of where Christians live. In other words, we just live for the now. The statistics prove that out. As you study society, especially here in the United States, we don't think much of the future. But listen to this in Ecclesiastes 3. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So here's Solomon. Now before I get to the rest of this, here is Solomon, wisest man on the planet has been given everything he's ever wanted. If you've read Ecclesiastes, then you know his testimony. And he said, I've had all the pleasures of man. And we know what some of those pleasures were. Over 700 wives and concubines. Having beautiful palace, palaces and having anything. People come from all over the world to come to him and say, you're the man. No one likes Solomon. It says before or since. 
And so he's got a word for us. Now, now granted, what you've got to understand is that Solomon comes to a conclusion that is based on a lack of understanding that you and I have. This is the embodiment of a present-thinking Christian in how we read this. He says, eternity is in the human, yard, in, in the human, heart, human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Well, that's too bad, Solomon. I have the book of Revelation. I kind of know how it does turn out. That's awesome. Solomon didn't have it. Because Solomon has been living only in the present, and he enjoys it. And what is amazing is the wisest, most rich person on the planet comes to this conclusion, it's all meaningless. That it's meaningless. He says it doesn't ever satisfy. And here we are, some of us Christians, busting our tails to get more stuff, to get more money, to get a better retirement, to get a better life. And yet here we are, we're not heeding what Solomon's telling us. And even here's this guy who was giving it all. And he comes to the end of it and says, you know, this didn't really work. I enjoyed all of this. And it plays out with the, the, the end of his life. He had it all, and, and Solomon ended up walking away from God to some degree. It's pretty sad. But that is exactly what happens with a present living Christian. When we focus all of our attention on having a good life just now, we're short-sighted. Let me finish what he said. Verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That's a discovery. That's a revelation. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, this is a gift of God, no doubt. To enjoy the present is a gift of God. If you're stuck in the past, that's no fun. God does want us to enjoy the present. Let's not take that away. God wants to enjoy us to enjoy the, the, the blue skies. The, well, we haven't had a lot of those, but you know what I'm saying? I was like, what happened in North Carolina blue skies? But anyway, you know, the whole idea is that God would enjoy, let us enjoy the fruit of our labor, the, 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 the breathing, the fresh air, to be able to travel, to have a children, to have a life, to have a wife, to have a husband, the wonderful things that he's provided. Well, yes, yes, we're not negating that. Verse 13 that each of them may eat and drink and find that satisfaction. Verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away. There's a little bit of the sovereignty of God sneaking through there. Solomon understood that. Providence of God. God does it so that people will fear him. Solomon gets the understanding. He gets it. He gets it. But what he doesn't get is the understanding fully of the eternal aspect of who we are. He knows that eternity is wrapped up inside our hearts, but he doesn't have Jesus. He doesn't have the kingdom of God. He does not know the full story. So all he has is all he's been given. And what does he come to the conclusion? It's not enough. Something's missing. What is missing? Exactly what Jesus provided. We'll get to that. So a present living Christian is a person who does not live life with an understanding of wisdom. All decisions create consequences, good and bad. When you live for the now, my friend, and I hate to say this, but the preponderance of preaching sometimes on the radio and television and what you see on the internet is all about, I want to make you happy. Now, it's, it's, it, it's going to be okay. God loves you. It's all fine. All, it's all good. And, and you know what? I, I understand that. That's, that's in some ways relishing and reveling in the wonderful creation that we've been given. But 
what I find is that we love that, but it's like the soda pop. It's like the, it's like the junk food of the word. I, I hate to put it that way. It feels good, tastes good, goes down, but in the end, it's, it's a donut. It's a donut. We'll get back to that. Not the donuts, but the truth behind it. Anyway. Do not live, he says, and that's what happens, that we don't, we forget. We're living in the now, we're not thinking of the future. That the decision I make now and how will impact my future, that's what we're talking about. Now, Solomon was the wisest man on the planet, and yet he made a lot of bad decisions. It's because he didn't have Jesus. You and I have Jesus. We have, the, we have the wisdom of the word. We have everything we need. As Peter said, you have everything you need in order to be successful in a godly life, okay? Given. Why aren't we using it? Why aren't we getting past? Why, why aren't we getting past our present? Why are we not? Why is that, that Christians often, and I know I'm dealing with the elephant in the room here, but why is it that we find ourselves tired, worn out, visionless, joyless, not having hope for the future, be honest with yourself. Please be honest with yourself. We talk about the abundant life. We talk about the fountain. Spring up a well. I mean, you know, we got that all going on. But there are some days we're going, man, I I see no well in sight. Christian, why is this so? I mean, we have to deal with this. And I'm telling you, I think it's because we have very little. We got a lot of Bible in us, but very little is embraced in the sense of what we read and believe. Is typical, often what we're attracted to is just typically just about surviving, getting blessed. We read the Bible for a blessing. It's not wrong or evil. It's just not enough. It's just not enough. We experience, as a result, addition Christianity. Our gain is hard fought for, slowly gained, appreciated, but not what Christ is really hoping for, not really what he died for us to have. If you see the parable of the minas in Luke 19, you get a, you get a picture. So Jesus tells the story. He says a man was given one talent or one mina, and one was given five and one was given 10. And he went away, the businessman, as he invested into these men's lives. And he said, okay, I'm going away. So he comes back. The man with 10 doubled his. And he says, look, I ha- you gave me 10. I got you 10 more. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He looks at the one with five, and he goes, hey, you gave me five. Notice that not all are given the same, very much like in life. Some are given a lot. To whom much is given, much is required. Some of us are not given very much or as much. Man with the five says, look, I've doubled what you gave me. Here you go. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, there was this one rascal that took that one talent, or mina, and buried it in the ground. And when he buried it in the ground, his, all of it was based on what? Fear. Fear, what was his motivation? He's like, oh man, he's going to come back, and if I accidentally lose what I have, then he's really going to be mad at me. He's shrewd. I know he's going ju- to be hard on me, so I'm going to save at least what I got. Boom. Now follow this. This is where a lot of Christians live. I, you know, I'm just going to avoid the fire. I'm just going to avoid, you know, getting to real trouble. I'm, I'm just going to live my life, live it very simply, live it within the confines of just, you know, these four corners. And so what he does, he bears it. The man comes back. The father comes back. The businessman comes back, and he says, okay, how about you? Well, I have yours. I still got it. He goes, you didn't even put it in the bank and get interest on it? Well, no, I knew you were shrewd and not hard, and I feared you. I didn't. 
He said, take what he has and give it to the one who has 10. Now, there's so much in there that we can't get into, but it's a very powerful truth. Jesus is pointing out to us, he's saying, that look, when we live just in the present, when we're not thinking of the future, then we live in fear. And even if we don't live in fear, we live in a, sen- a lack of real faith. We fight for one little inch of growth in our life, and God says, I want exponential growth in you. But it only comes when you start thinking about the future. We'll get to that. So walking in the present will not deal with the darkness around you. See, this is to answer this question. So they're saying, how do I dispel the darkness? You know, how, why does the darkness keep pushing back the light? Well, first of all, you don't understand that you're in a defensive position right from the get-go. You're assuming that darkness is going to win, and you're just holding on with the one talent. Let's turn this picture around. Let's turn the story around. No, no, no. You are the light. Christ has put his light inside you. You're a salt, and wherever salt is, it affects us and changes. You are the light, and wherever light goes, what? Darkness has to flee. That's what the reality is, my friends. And so we need to stop thinking. See, when we're stuck in the past, oh, man, we're nowhere even near being able to fight the good fight. But when we're living in the present, we're not thinking of the fight. We're not preparing for the fight. We're not living and expecting the kind of exponential growth that God wants us to have. Again, this is not to shame anyone. This is not to, this, in some ways, I'm trying to incite you. I'm trying to be a coach up here and say, I want to slap you on the helmet just a little bit and say, look, you can have more. You can dig a little deeper. If you are always in a defensive posture, then you do not understand the kingdom of God, my friend, and the Bible. You need to dig a little deeper. You need to get into those gospels, and you need to understand what you're called to be and to do, that you've been given exosia, the authority or the right to use his name, to speak in the name of Jesus over your circumstances, to dispel that darkness with a simple prayer and declaration in Jesus' name. That is not an incantation. That is a declaration. That's exactly what it is. So, but we're stuck in the, the present. And I hate to even say it that way. But walking just in the present will not deal with the darkness around you. You'll, you'll, you'll just be burying your minus and not gaining ground for your future, your family, your legacy. And Andrea and I, we, 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 we talk about this all the time. When we think of young families, we think of, we just want to lovingly sit them down and just say, you're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about your kid being salt and light. You're not thinking about your grandchildren being salt and light. When you start thinking that way, now you're riding in the high country. Now you're living the way Jesus died for you to live. Absolutely. So what is a future living Christian? A future living Christian is a person who lives in confidence, number one, that our sins are forgiven and heaven is waiting. As a result, we live with purpose and desire to please our Savior by bearing much fruit. That's essentially it in one statement. See, you heard me say it before. I'll say it again. Sin is not your problem anymore. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. It's like breathing in and out. It's included in the Lord's prayer. Lord, forgive my trespasses, even as I forgive others that have sinned against me. That's the way you start your day. It's a given. Lord, 
keep short accounts with you. I love you. I think you died on the cross for me, but I, I, need, to clean, I need to clear house here right for a second. I know I judged. I know I got angry. I know I let this in. I know I did that. I ask you to forgive me. <sighs> okay, what's next? You see the difference? What do you have for me today? Because I know that all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen? That even my struggles, my battles, God's going to use every little broken piece in me. I'm not under the assumption that God's sitting up there going, you know what? It's going to take me about 20 years to figure out how I'm going to abuse you. And yet that's the way a lot of Christians think. Oh, God has called me to a life of suffering. Mm. No, he's called you to a life of fruitfulness. But it's not the kind of fruit you think. It's not present fruit, it's future fruit. That's different. We go from living in addition to exponential growth, compounding blessing. Why? Because God sees that our hearts are right, our priorities are in order, and we are good stewards of what he's giving us. We will receive even more by learning to give away our life. I'm not just talking about money here, even though that is a component of it. And so incredibly a part of who we are. Matter of fact, what we do with our money is only an extension of what's really already going on in our heart. So if we just do, if we just tithe and we give grudgingly and we're just like, oh, here's the church hitting me up for money again, then my friend, you're not a future thinking Christian. You don't understand that for every dollar you sow to the kingdom of God, God says, I'm going to pour back into your life 30, 60, 100 fold. I just live there. I don't doubt it. I mean, it's an assumption because I'm looking and walking. Now, I don't always, but that's where we need to be. We need to understand <clears throat> that our very life, our very breath is constantly investing in the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say? Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. When we are able, that's future thinking. That's a kingdom Christian. Seeking God first, Walking in a constant sense of righteousness, knowing that he loves me, he's for me. If I get some sin, he's faithful and just, and I'll be in fellowship with him and fellowship with one another, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. And now I can really live free because I'm not worried about my present. You get the difference here? When you're so consumed with your present, you have no time to think about the future. But when you start thinking about the future, you don't have to worry about your present because Jesus said, I'll take care of that. Whoa, that's pretty cool stuff right there, isn't it? In other words, I don't have to get caught up with the cares of the world. It doesn't mean I have to have the, the weeds of anxiety. I don't have to have the cares of this world so consuming me because that's what this world has. Come on, now we all know you buy something. Oh, good Lord. Watch all the mail coming in for how many taxes and, and, and all the stuff you got to pay for things. You got to keep it clean. You got to keep it washed. You got to get it treated. You got to have it. You got to put oil in it. And then you got to take the oil out of it. I mean, it just goes on and on. But man, and I'm saying we got to do all that. But when man, it's not the center of your life, when it's not the focus of, your, of who you are, that eternity has been sown in my heart and I live with the eternal sense of consequence. A future-thinking Christian not only understands consequences, they take an advantage of the principle. In other words, you're like the 10 minor, the 5 minor person who says, well, I'm going to sow this 5 that God has given me. I'm going to sow into my future what God has given to me. And watch God double that. And watch God double that. 
That's exponential. That's multiplication. But even more than that, God has promised exponential growth. And so we don't fear the consequences of, of, of this future thinking. We take advantage of it. Sowing and reaping. Well, when you think of sin and sowing and reaping, that's a frightful thing, right? That which we sow, we will reap. Whew, that's pretty scary. Because I know if I sow a seed of sin, it's going to grow up and produce a lot of other seeds. I don't like that. But if I sow a seed of faith, if I sowed a seed of time, if I sow a seed of sacrifice, if I sow a seed of laying down my life for being great in the world's eyes, you know, gosh, Andrea, I could talk about a lot of details, it, which is we do this and we live our lives this way on purpose. The seeds that we sow in our lives sometimes are very, very painful, but we know they're kingdom seeds. Things we say no to, the things that we say yes to. How we want to raise our children, what we want to teach them, what we want to expose them to, and what we don't want to expose them to. What we do with our lives individually to protect our marriage, so on and so forth. We take advantage of it in sowing the right seeds so that, man, when you come to a part of your life, you know, harvest is an amazing thing. It'd be neat for us as a whole church to go to some Iowa farm and see them bringing in the harvest, right? And just watching those combines going down six, six strong, bringing in the harvest, smelling all of that weed and corn coming into the air, feeling the warm, wonderful days of, of autumn, and then just everyone laughing. We are enjoying the harvest. Harvest is that way. And you know what, my friends? You've got to go through a season of sowing before you get to that day of harvest. And so, some of you, so many of us are saying, when do I get to the harvest time? Don't worry about that. Just keep sowing the seed because the harvest is coming. And Peter said that too. Peter said, look, right now you're enduring some hardship, but don't worry. Those are seeds sown, and it will burst forth in celebration and victory. You'll see. What are the seeds? It's our life. It's our obedience to God's plan. It's our avoidance of unwise behavior and always thinking of the future. A kingdom Christian is really what I'm talking about here. We're the head, not the tail. God intends to bless us. God intends to advance his purposes through our lives. I have everything I need to prosper in advance. That's what Peter told me. It's all in me. Truth is, I'm not always aware of it. I'm not always taking advantage of it. The future-thinking Christian has a lot of word in them, but not only word, but a full understanding of its historical impact and its prophetic outlook. See, you can't be a Christian without being prophetic. You can't. The whole Bible is prophetic. It's held together with narrative and history and po poetry and wonderful, wonderful stories and truths and promises, but it's all held together with prophecy, all held together with God's promise that I'm coming again, I've given you a solution, and now get busy changing the world, being that salt and light. Think of your future. Folks, if you're afraid of death, then you're not a, you're not a future-thinking Christian because eternity is, is in us. <laughs> death is not my end. Death is not your end. It's just the beginning. Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And you know what? Then, then death is just a speed bump. It's an inconvenience <laughs> that we even have to go through it at all and that we have to subject our family to it at all. 
But my friends, when we think of our lives being a constant sowing for the future, to, to advance it, to, to please him with everything I do, then we're living on the higher ground. So I want to ask you, are you living in the past? Then you're using a lot of energy, but the beauty is you can be set free even now and I'm going to pray for you. Are you stuck in your future? I mean, in your, your present. Are you a person who's living now? You're, you're not really thinking about the future, both in your spiritual actions or your physical actions. You can get past that too. You can ask God to forgive you and to help understand that eternity is in your heart and start thinking about out there. Start thinking about, now some people say that's being irresponsible. Nothing could be further than the truth. Seek first the kingdom of God. Is that irresponsible? Not with the promise that comes after. And all these things will be added to you as well. Folks, that's living in trust. That's living with the one who died for you in response to the cross, in response to his promises. Amen? Man, let's stand up this morning. You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 8.30, 10, or 11.30 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.